Welcome to the Canes Country Podcast. Uh, we have news. We have tons of news. We have multiple pieces of news for the first time in like a month. My name is Brett Finger. I'm joined by Andrew Schnicker and Ryan Hankel. Gentlemen, how are you doing this week? Doing well. It's good to be uh, back from our hiatus. I'm feeling great. All sorts of Carolina Hurricanes news finally happening all at once. Where where to begin? I mean, we're spoiled this week. We have so many places we can go, but I think where I'm going to go first is the most recent piece of news, and that is the shocking offer sheet of Jesperi Kotkaniemi from Carolina to Montreal. Uh, one year, $6.1 million AAV, and it, of course, a $20 signing bonus for reasons we don't know. Who knows why they did that? So a, a week later, the decision was made. No no match for Montreal. Kotkin Niemi is a hurricane at the expense of a 2022 first round pick and a third round pick. And of course, the $6.1 million salary. So Montreal takes the compensation. The Hurricanes take Kotkin Niemi. Jeez, this is kind of out of nowhere, but there's a lot of different factors at play here yeah i think i think you have to look at it like there i think there was a sense from a lot of people of like looking at everything the hurricanes did like on social media and everything after the opera sheet came out like which was phenomenal i mean they they took advantage of that opportunity fully which they always do but like there, there were i think there were some people who felt like they only did it to like to be petty and to get revenge. And I'm like, no, like that's just a bonus. That's an opportunity that came with it, that they weren't going to pass up. Like no NHL team is going to give up $6 million and a first and third round pick for a player. They don't actually want. And there's a lot of reasons for the hurricanes to want Cockney Emmy. I mean, he hasn't been great in Montreal the past three years, but I think um, they've, probably made some mistakes with how they've handled him and his development. It's kind of funny, actually, if you think back to what the Hurricanes did with Elias Lindholm early in his career, I think it's somewhat similar. But this is a guy, again, who's a third overall pick three years ago, still has, I think, a ton of untapped potential. The $6 million price tag is obviously huge, but that's that's kind of how offer sheets work. You have to give a player more than they're worth if you actually want to get them and want the other team not to match and I think there have been some reports that the Hurricanes as soon as they're able are going to look at doing a cheaper extension with him um, yeah I mean this this is a move I think with a lot of upside for the Hurricanes and if you look at where they are with their young core that they already have and with their prospect pool that's pretty much a consensus top five prospect pool in the NHL even if this doesn't work out at all like this is if this is worst case scenario losing a first and third in this upcoming draft is not something that's going to kill the hurricanes so i like the move a lot yeah i like kakaniemi as the player i think uh, montreal 100 rushes development throwing him into the nhl as an undersized 18 year old like the canes brought in svetch from the same draft class but svetch was you know much Six bigger to 195 yeah like talking to was undersized and they Montreal threw him in at center which is arguably the hardest position to transition to in hockey's NHL level centerman and so 
his whole been all sorts of problems with like you know the way he's been deployed in Montreal. It's like I don't think they intentionally tried to screw with him, but you know you had Nick Suzuki blossom, so he jumped him in the depth chart. He had a rotating cast of wingers constantly, and I just felt he was never really able given. You know, he was never able to take the steps he should have and given the opportunities that he needed to actually be successful. So I think Carolina kind of springing him out of that situation is, you know, for the best for Kakanyam and for Carolina, because I think he can still be a hell of a player. He's got the pedigree. He's got the intelligence. He's a smart player. And so I think he could be a lot. And, you know, the other the other take hot take everyone has on this whole thing is that this was a Tom Dundon decision. And I think that just. You know, it's Tom Dunn has become a heel kind of in the in the old time hockey world because he's, you know, so against the grain. But the Carolina Hurricanes got their cake and ate it, too, with all of the media trolling they did. Like Tom Dunn is not coming barging into the room and saying, Don, get on the damn phone and offer sheet this this kid right now so I can screw with Jeff Molson and the Molson family. That's that's not at all what happens. The Hurricanes have have their brain trust, and Tom Dundon completely and absolutely trusts this brain trust. Like everyone has a say, everyone can bring ideas up, and Tom Dundon's not going to just be like, "Yeah, all of you guys that I've hired specifically for the position to, you know, make these hockey related decisions that I myself am not super aware of. Screw you guys, we're doing what I want." That's absolutely not at all what's happened here. Like maybe he's in the room and says, "Hey, hey, hey I have a great idea, twenty dollars signing bonus." <laughs> like sure that but he's not the one pulling the strings being like guys i saw that they have this rfa and i really want us to screw with them like no yeah I, honestly i'm kind of on the fence with it um yes barry kakanyemi is a really interesting player because of how well he played as a rookie and how much upside he showed um, breaking into the league. And I would agree that he shouldn't have been in the league, but he did play well. But after that, it's been a pretty shocking regression in, in his play. Uh, year two was pretty dreadful all around. Uh, the only saving grace for him last season was his defensive numbers went up by a lot. The, the good part of his offense is that he is a very he's a solid playmaker he can create scoring chances uh for his teammates and that's obviously valuable but last season he was kind of he was a playmaking defensively stout forward who whose playmaking didn't create actual goals so you're kind of banking on him coming over and playing with better finishers potentially who knows where he'll play he'll probably play on the wing uh, it's hard to imagine he'll get consistent center time unless he's kind of rotating with Trocheck to an extent yeah I mean he could he could play with like Trocheck and Natchez or he could play on the stall line or something because his defense was very solid last year as it was as, uh, in his rookie year exiting the defensive zone with possession and all that so this isn't a player with no good parts to his game that's certainly not the case but it's it's it is a risk at 6.1 million and you're giving up the first and the third for a guy who has underperformed the last two seasons but again he is from Sveshnikov's draft class and he was the third overall pick in that draft class and he did show in his rookie season that he has what it takes to play in this league and be productive 
I'm curious to see where he fits into the lineup because, again, Carolina's center core is pretty much set as of right now. So you're you're talking probably second or third line wing. Uh, where where do you play him to get the most out of him? Is is kind of what I'm wondering because there's obviously something that didn't go right in Montreal the last two years. Um, he didn't have any trust from his coaching staff. He was moved around the lineup constantly, and obviously that's not an ideal situation for a young player player you're trying to groom into a top six forward. So there, there's a lot of, a lot of questions and in Carolina kind of has to figure out what, what they have to do to get him on track. And, you know, they, they went this route when, with trying to find another forward, you know, we, we all know we've been talking about it or we were talking about it for a while, how, They've they've been looking for another forward. They've been looking to to bolster that group, and you know they could have gone out and they could have spent money on a bona fide top six forward that could help them win right now for sure. But instead, they they went with Kotkaniemi, and you know there's there's going to have to be a bit of a process there in turning him around. And, you know, as a team that's trying to win right now, I wonder, like, I wonder how long that process needs to be um, and if he can be a real contributing factor as soon as this year. Um, he's capable of being one, but I, I don't, I, that's very far from a sure thing for me. You know, I, I could see this going either way, but I, I can certainly understand how for Carolina it's a worthy gamble. Uh, even if you are overpaying for that asset, that's just the nature of offer sheets. It's what you, it's what you have to do. Uh, we saw what Montreal did with Ajo. They paid him below market value, and that's not a successful offer sheet. So, again, they did what they had to do. It's exactly what an offer sheet should be. I mean, you're you're making it extremely, obviously extremely difficult for the other team to match because they didn't match. Um, and, yeah, you're not getting a proven, like, star player but like you're never really going to get a player like a Sebastian Ajo on an offer sheet because the other team is just going to match especially if you make the contract the way that Montreal did like maybe if Montreal would have given Ajo like eight years 15 million a year or whatever then maybe you might have to think about it but like you know I think for a player like Emmy with the potential that he has and everything else that's that's kind of the purpose of offer sheets, I think. And it, I think it's going to be interesting and probably largely dependent on how successful Kakaniemi is to see if more teams use this approach going forward. Yeah, <clears throat> because also the report came out, like I think Pierre Lebrun said it, that the Hurricanes actually tried to trade for uh, KK first. And so obviously whatever like they tried to do there didn't work out. And so they felt the first and third would was worth just as much as whatever potentially the trade they were trying to work out or Montreal wanted was going to be. So, I mean, like this was a player they wanted, like they were trying to trade for him, like, and you know, the offer sheet just seemed to be the better option for them. Well, and looking to it, that this being a player that the hurricanes really wanted, you got to remember. And Waddell, I think said this too, in their release that he, he was a guy who's 
been on their radar since his draft year. Like going back to the draft three years ago, the Hurricanes had the pick before Kotkaniemi was taken. Now it was very, it was painfully obvious at the time that they were going to draft Svechnikov, but you're scouting, you're evaluating, you're doing your due diligence with a top pick like that. The Hurricanes scouts and everybody else probably did a fair bit of work on Kotkaniemi going into that draft. So I'm sure they still had all of that to go on to in making this decision. Now we'll see. Now we'll see how Kotkaniemi pans out. And who knows? He might be playing on a line with, I don't know, Andre Sveshnikov, who signed an eight-year deal with the team. Um, This is... It was kind of surprising. I think, you know, early on there were talks about the long-term deal, but it felt like, you know, it was going to end in a bridge deal like every other player. No. Uh, Svech gets eight years, $7.75 million AAV. And, you know, with Kakanyemi, I think you can kind of go either way, whether you think that's a that was a great idea. Uh this one feels pretty more clear cut. This this feels like a pretty big win for Carolina. Yeah, I think in an off season where you look at most of the moves they make and you're like, well, got to see how that one pans out. Like th- this is one that, like you just said, Brett, this is b- clearly the biggest win I think for this team this off season. Um, I think seven point seven five is a pretty good number for Svechnikov. Really, even right now, I mean, he's coming off a bit of a down year, but. Probably wouldn't have gotten a ton less than that on a bridge deal. To get him locked in at that for eight years and looking at what you think he's going to be, and I I think he's going to be and develop into, which is one of the best wingers in the NHL. And, you know, I think people have said this too. This has the potential to be one of those contracts where everybody's looking at it within a couple years and being like, this guy is only making this much for this much longer. Like the Nathan McKinnon. Th- this could be a steal of a contract for the Hurricanes. Sechikov is a franchise cornerstone. And just to at 21 years old, lock him up for eight years is it just really just feels like it doesn't happen anymore in the NHL. Like, like it feels like every RFA superstar is getting like bridge deal after bridge deal. And so for, this is just tremendous from the hurricane standpoint and from such a standpoint, he wants to be a hurricane. He said, and he, you know, he wants stability. He wants just to be able to have somewhere to call home. And so for both sides, it's just a home run. Just honestly getting any time you can lock up a star for eight years at a reasonable, a at like a great AV. It's a home run every time. Yeah. I mean, I haven't shied away from talking about how I thought, Svetch's season last year was pretty underwhelming. But even with that in mind, I mean, he's still he's still on track to be a star. And for for that dollar amount and that length, I mean, you're eating up four years of UFA uh, eligibility. You're you're locking him up until pretty much the end of the decade until he's 29 or 30. Uh, this is just, you know, it's a no brainer when you can do this kind of deal for a guy who with a little bit of luck can score 40 goals in this league, uh, with a little bit of luck can have a 45 assist season, you know, like that's the kind of player he is. He was one of Carolina's best playmakers last season in a down year. 
Um, and you can just see there are areas in this game that are growing. Uh, there are some that still need work, but you know, when you have a guy as naturally talented and as naturally dominant as Svechnikov, you you can take your time and get that done because he's he's a special player, just like Tim Gleason was back in the day. Uh, the Hurricanes are promoting Tim Gleason to the role of assistant coach. He's taking Dean Chenelf's role behind the bench. Favorite Tim Gleason moment? That one's easy. That's the uh, the, the game in, um, I think it was in Washington. Damn in it, you took mine. Two, I think I took everyone's. Um, <laughs> there aren't a lot. In the 2009-10 season, he took a puck to the face, came back into the game wearing a full-face shield, Canes were on the penalty kill. Gleason gets a shorthanded breakaway, and it's like it's a hilarious breakaway to goal too, because he stopped like s- several feet from the net and just blasted a shot in for a shorty. That that was my favorite Tim Gleason moment, easily. A slap shot on the breakaway, and he tried to yell after he scored, but he couldn't because he was stitched up in the mouth. That's right. <laughs> Uh, Ryan, do you do you have one that's different than that? I mean, I would. I don't know if there's any like one moment. I think Gleason was just such like an important. Like he was just such a like his presence brought like a lot of like stability and like kind of like you knew when Tim Gleason was out there, like nobody would be messing with Kane's players. Like he would he would protect like everyone on the ice. Like you just felt comfortable with him out there. I don't know if there's like any moment. It just just kind of knowing that he was out there. It was just kind of gave you comfort knowing because. He was he was a bad MFer. Well, I think it's interesting too in that I think Tim Gleason played at like the very pretty much the very tail end of the era of NHL hockey in which like it would was valuable to have like a stay at home, hard hitting, shut down, shot blocking, like little to no offense um defenseman on your first pairing. Like I think like in the NHL right now, I think Tim Gleason is a third pairing guy that's like basically a penalty kill specialist. But at at, at the time, I think, and especially when he started, it, it was when a defenseman of that skill set were much more valuable. And he was really, really good at what he did. Looking around the league, I mean, it feels like everything's kind of setting into place. We have prospect camps and showcases in the next couple weeks starting up and then we have training camp and then holy shit the season starts anything standing out to you guys across the league as we inch closer and closer yeah the nhl um came out with its new covid protocols um i'd have to pull them up but it's basically the gist of them is kind of what we're seeing um, throughout all of college and professional sports, and that being the protocols are significantly stricter for unvaccinated players who are not vaccinated against COVID-19. In fact, I think there's um, their, their protocols for this upcoming season actually allow teams to suspend unvaccinated players who are unable to participate in club activities. Um, They would forfeit the equivalent of one day's pay for each day that they can't 
and all that. Obviously, exceptions made for medical or religious reasons. But, I mean, we're, we're seeing this across sports. I mean, leagues yes. are setting it up so that if you are vaccinated, if you have your whole team vaccinated, it's a competitive advantage for a lot of reasons. Number one being that you have to worry significantly less about something like what happened to the Hurricanes early in last season happening to your team. And um, Sarah Sivian, I think, reported yes. last week that the Hurricanes are expected to be fully vaccinated, everybody, when the season starts. I'm not really surprised by that. I remember one of our availabilities with Rod Brindamore um, talking to him, like around the time that the vaccines were first becoming widely available about like him getting his vaccine and everything else and how he felt about it. And he's very pro vaccine and he just, I mean, it just everything we know about Rod Brindamore, I think it's, you know, strikes me that he would be like, Hey, we have a way to like protect ourselves so that this doesn't disrupt our season. We're all going to go do, we're all going to do this. Like, and I think that's a very good thing. Yeah, and if you're interested in the, uh, the prospects, Kane's prospects, uh, our own Matt Soma has been writing great, you know, profiles on them. But the prospect showcase, Kane's will be participating. Uh, I think September 18th through 21st in Tampa. I think Florida, Tampa, Nashville, and uh, Kane's will be participating in players like uh, Seth Jarvis, Ryan Suzuki, Dominic Bach, uh, Joey Keane, some 2021 draftees, uh, Bobby Orr, Justin Robidas, uh, Bryce Montgomery, uh, Patrick Hammerla will all be there. So if you're interested in prospects, that's coming up too. And I believe um, Matt told me he's actually going to be there at the prospect showcase. So if you're not following uh, King's prospects on Twitter, first of all, what are you doing? Second of all, uh, get on that. Yes, get on that. Um, I believe it's Corey Promen had his uh, new rankings of U23 players. Uh, every team power ranked based on their U23 players. And I think the Hurricanes were third, and that was before they even got Kakanyemi. So He updated it. He, he actually bumped, updated he bumped it. The they're, to second. They're, oh. they're number two with Kakanyemi. Oh, wow. Of course, that includes um, Andrei Svechnikov and Martin Natchez as well. But Yes, yes. Hurricanes have a new uh, ECHL affiliate. Again, the uh, uh, yeah. Norfolk Admirals. Used to be in that used to be an AHL team, right? Like, yes, of the Predators, yeah. I think. That's yeah. Now ECHL, now uh, Hurricanes affiliate. They did not have an ECHL team last year. Uh, I mean, it makes sense. Like it's it's weird because like their ECHL team is now a hell of a lot closer than their AHL team in Chicago. But you've got a team, you know, up the road in Virginia, relatively close. I mean, if they were looking for a partner that made a lot of sense for the Hurricanes, I think. Yeah, with the amount of prospects also the Canes have been acquiring, it makes sense to have, you know, another kind of league that you're kind of overseeing to kind of get players in. Yes, well, especially, like, with the, like, 17 draft picks that they or whatever it was that they just made, when those guys start coming up, you're going to need places for them to play. And we know the Wolves like to have some – AHL vets on the roster, so there's only going to be so many spots for prospects there. Well, that's all we got for this week. Uh, this has been the Canes Country Podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, my name's Red Finger, of course. Andrew Schnicker and Ryan Hankler here. Guys, where can the people follow you on Twitter and only Twitter? Andrew. 
at A-S-C-H-N-I-T-T-5-3. And Ryan. At R-Y-A-N-H-E-N-K-E-L underscore. You can follow me on Twitter at Brett Finger. You can follow Kane's Country on Twitter at Kane's Country. Instagram, Kane's Country Picks, P-I-X. Follow us on subscribe to the Kane's Country Podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can listen to the Kane's Country Podcast. Leave a review, rating, all that stuff. Helps us out very much. Bye.